experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. You know, last week, the NASDAQ Composite Index broke a three-week losing streak by gaining a little over 1%. And just to clarify, the NASDAQ Composite is the index that tracks over 2,500 securities, the, the stocks that are listed on the NASDAQ exchange. And I say this because sometimes it's confused with the NASDAQ 100, which, of course, tracks the 100 biggest non-financial stocks in the index, you know, the big tech titans. The composite is a broader index, but it's but it's also viewed as an indicator for the newer sectors of the economy. So the NASDAQ composite was up a little over 1%, while the S&P 500 and the Dow, well, they extended their losses for the fourth straight week. I tell you, there really hasn't been a lot of confidence in the equity markets lately. You have a whole number of issues out there. We saw last week's announcement that the number of first-time filers for unemployment benefits, well, they were slightly higher than what was expected. And that put a, a damper on some expectations for recovery. Then there's the thought that with the passing of Justice Ginsburg, well, phase four of the stimulus package probably got pushed to the back seat while Congress battles over the new Supreme Court nominee. And remember, the Fed chairman, Jay Powell, he warned that the economic outlook could be hurt without the additional federal government stimulus. Then you look and you see, well, we got rising trade tensions between the U.S. and China. People are certainly, certainly concerned about the elections and the real probability that the results are going to be delayed and probably contested, too. And, oh, yeah, the president contracted COVID-19. So, yes, there's a lot for investors to wrestle with. And we've seen the market react with a four-week pullback. And it was mostly led by the uh, mega cap tech stocks, the mega cap stocks. But let's not get too too negative here because there are some bright stop spots. Even though there are about 10 states, 10 states that have significant lockdowns still in place, which of course is going to contribute to negative unemployment numbers. But you're seeing over the past week, several major cities have initiated phase three reopening plans, meaning the restrictions are going to get loosened on restaurants, bars, hotels, and, and other businesses. Then there's about still about $130 billion in loans in the Small Business Payback Protection Program that haven't been distributed, and only a small percentage of the $600 billion in the Federal Reserve's Main Street Lending Program, uh, which was put into place to support medium and large business. Only a little bit of that has been allocated duly, uh, due mainly to red tape. So you would think that when this money finds its way into the hands of businesses, well, we could expect to see an improving labor force. And while a full economic recovery 
could be years away. Tell you, reducing unemployment will continue to move the economy in the right direction. Now, from a technical standpoint, it looks like some mixed signals out there. One of the main things I look at are the sediment indicators, and I use these as contrarian markers, meaning that when everyone is extremely negative, I think it pays to be positive and vice versa, of course, you know, acting like George Costanza, do the opposite. Lately, these indicators have been moving in the direction of excessive pessimism. And one that I've talked about is the the CNN Fear and Greed Index, which Last week was in the fear zone. It's bounced back a little to where it is now at the end or the bottom end of the neutral zone. Then I see call buying has been, in my opinion, or which has been, in my opinion, excessive over the past month or so. Well, that's slowed down. So there are a number of sediment indicators out there that you can look at, but for the most part, you're not seeing the euphoria that signals a significant pullback in the markets. So that's good. Now, I also said that we're getting mixed signals. So on the other side of the coin, we are seeing a deterioration in the performance of the broad market. The current pullback began with the selling of the mega cap tech stocks, which I mentioned before, but now it's rotating into broader base selling as the economic data discouraged investments into the cyclicals, and then both the S&P and the NASDAQ closed below their respective 50-day averages. So maybe mixed signals is a bad way of putting it. The market's going down, which it has been, then investors are less enthusiastic. So the mixed signals make sense. Sounds a little complicated, right? Well, let me sum this up for you. There's no doubt that we have a healthy list of unknowns out there. The resurgence of the virus, especially during flu season, a delay of the uh, delayed outcome of the presidential election, trade, government, stimulus packages in jeopardy, a weak economy, and then, of course, the dominance of a handful of stocks leading the market. But the Federal Reserve continues to reiterate their commitment to support the financial markets until they're confident that The economy is far enough along down the road that they don't have to keep rates low. But as of now, they plan on keeping interest rates close to zero through 2023. And I actually think it may be longer. I think that we are at the tail end of the stock market correction. That's right. Yes, we could go lower as we head into the November elections. But as that and fiscal policy uncertainties recede, Well, I think it paves the way for a pretty strong market rally. I would be looking at adding high quality names now because I know I'm never going to be able to bottom tick the market. I'll spend next week's show giving you a few of the names that I like or that I'd be looking at. But in the meantime, last week I talked about asset allocation. If you missed it, you might want to go back and give that show a listen. Basically what I said was that the traditional 60-40 stock-to-bond portfolio, the one that's done well for a long, long time, well, it might not do so well going forward. My thought being that having 40% of your portfolio in bonds may act as too heavy of an anchor for some folks. Uh, But 
that the reason why is because bonds are paying so little. It, and it really depends on the person. I also said that bonds probably have more risk than what people realize. And a few of you asked me to expound on that. So I will. If you buy an individual bond, you know what you're going to get. If you buy it and hold it, for the sake of our discussion, let's just forget about default risk or the company going bankrupt. It's a real risk, but let's just push that aside for today and assume you buy good quality bonds and the company keeps paying. You're going to get the interest in your money back when the come uh, when the bond comes due. So in that sense, the risks are minimal. But let me give you an exaggerated example, something to think about here. Again, I'm exaggerating to make the point. But you go out and you buy a CD or a bot, has a 10-year maturity, and it's paying you 2%. The first year goes fine. But the second year, the economy starts to heat up a bit, inflation starts to rise, and interest rates rise too. They go to 3%. Now, a 1% increase in rates doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a 50% increase in yield. What that means is that if you need to sell your bond or CD, you need to sell it for less than what you paid to make it attractive for someone else to buy. You're going to have to sell your 2% bond, the one that you bought at, say, $100, for roughly $66. The real problem is when people look at their statements and they see their bonds priced for way less than what they bought them at, and then they panic. People don't like to see their safe-type bonds priced way below what they paid for them. It's called convexity. The convexity, excuse me, the convexity of the yield curve. A 1% move in interest rates isn't always the same. Interest rates going from 1% to 2% is much different than interest rates going from 5 to 6%. Yes, it's a 1% move, but one is a 50% move and the other is a 20% change. And those moves have impact on bond prices. With interest rates low, I think there isn't a whole lot of wiggle room should things start to heat up. And on top of that, well, They just aren't paying you a whole lot right now. My point is the old rule of thumb or the traditional 60-40 mix shouldn't just be the go-to. You really need a well-thought-out plan, one that suits you more so today than ever. If you need help, give us a call. The number is 301-770-5234. Okay, that's all we have time for today. Next week, we'll talk about some individual ideas that you can look at, see if they make sense for you. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. 
the things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.